0: text this morning is from the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, and I'll read beginning at verse four. Philippians four, beginning at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is a sense in which a Christian will never know peace When Jesus was speaking to his disciples, giving instruction in preparation for sending them out, he said, think not that I have come to send peace on earth, but a sword, and he was making it clear that what he was about to do in the world would forever make it impossible for his followers to be at peace with the world for his followers were being challenged to engage in a warfare of cosmic dimension. And he wanted them to know that this kind of warfare was going to touch the most intimate relationships. And so he said, and a man's foe shall be they of his own household. And you and I can bear witness to that. We have seen people who have come to God and have sold out to Him and it just started a warfare in the home. For a Christian is somebody who will always be opposed to and in opposition with the evil world. There is a sense in which a Christian will never know peace. But there is a sense in which a Christian and only a Christian will ever know peace. And it is that peace to which I want to direct our attention this morning. For it is peace of mind that we urgently need and desperately want. Chris Christofferson heard Frank Sinatra one time make a statement like this. He said, sometimes my depression gets so bad that I would give everything I have for a good night's sleep and Christofferson penned the words after hearing that to the popular uh, song, Help Me Make It Through the Night. For there is something that some of us desperately want, need and there is something many of us desperately want and that is peace. Now it must be for us to distinguish between peace with God and the peace of God. That the text talks about. For every Christian has peace with God, but not every Christian has the peace of God. Peace with God has to do with our standing, it has to do with our position in Jesus Christ. And so, Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it means that the barriers that exist between man and God through Jesus have been broken down and the enmity has been abolished. But there is something definitely and distinctly different between the peace with God and the peace of God. The peace of God is God's own kind of peace. It's restful assurance. It's the kind of peace that Jesus had the night of his betrayal and the day of his death. And two artists decided they would draw a picture of that peace and one of them painted a, a, a beautiful mountain lake. There wasn't a breeze, there wasn't a leaf stirring, there wasn't a ripple on the lake. It was like a mirror reflecting calm tranquility and the other painted a roaring waterfall thundering down below, and the spray was spraying out, and over that waterfall extended the arm of an oak tree, and in it was a nest, and in the nest was a little bird just singing peacefully, for the nest was cradled in the arm of the mighty oak, And that's the kind of peace that the text is talking about. That's peace of God. It's not the peace of some far away place or some far away time. It's peaceful, restful assurance, an intense intellectual conviction that everything's working out for good. And it's peace that comes in the jaws of trouble. Wouldn't it be wonderful this morning if you and I had the kind of peace that resides in the heart of God himself? Wouldn't that be great to have the peace of God? But the question is, how does one have that kind of peace? If peace with God comes through faith in Jesus Christ and it's related to our standing, our salvation, our justification, How does one gain or find or experience the peace of God? Well, the text gives us a marvelous formula for it and it's just as simple as this. His presence plus my prayers plus my praise equals His peace. So the first part of the formula is recognize his presence now don't you miss that lit, that last phrase of verse 5 the lord is near or as the king james has it the lord is at hand does that does that phrase Im- imply paul's belief in the near and immediate return of jesus or does it convey his inner assurance in the intimacy and the adequacy of the living Christ. I think the latter. And I like the J.B. Phillips translation. It says, Never forget the nearness of your Lord. The Lord is near. God is standing by. The Lord is as near as your hand. You know, it makes a lot of difference who's standing nearby, doesn't it? When I was about five years old, I got run over by a wagon, I mean right over my head. And that's the answer that you've been wondering and seeking about. You've been wondering, why is that guy so goofy? And you've just now gotten the clue to that answer. I was about five years old, and I can remember it. That's uh, 37 years ago, but my grandfather came up to my house he was pulling a wagon with a team of horses he'd been out he- heading maize and some of you that are old as I am remember what that's about and he pulled that team of horses up to the uh, to the barn gate and I ran out of the house to, to to see him and started climbing up on the wagon wheel to get in the wagon just about the time I got on top of the wheel the horses just started up automatically because he opened the barn gate and I fell off of that thing and that big old metal wagon wheel ran right over my head didn't hurt me because it ran over my head I guess but my parents got me to got me up and they took me into town to the doctor it was over at one of those you know it's a doctor's office over the uh, over the drugstore you know like like you see in the you know gun smoke <laughs> and this doctor took me in this little room and he put these things in my ears I I I, I wasn't hurt until he put those little things in my ears, I guess, to see if I had anything in my head or not. But I was putting up quite a fuss. I scared to death, and finally, he told the nurse, go out and tell Buck to come in here. And the nurse went out and got my father and said, you know, I think it was going to be necessary for you to come in and sit on this boy so we can do this investigation or examination. But when Dad got in the room, you know, everything seemed to be all right. It sure makes a difference who's standing by, doesn't it? I want you to know that in the time of my pastorate, I've talked literally to hundreds of people who are facing frightening situations and experiences, and I have found their witness to be that we can face just about anything as long as we know God is near. The Lord is at hand. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that marvelous sermon from prison just before the Nazis put him to death that's become a classic, and the title is God is in the Middle of Things. And he started a sermon like this. I believe in a God not on the boundaries but at the center, and so I must begin this sermon on the premise that he's not to be smuggled into a secret last place. God is in In the middle of things. He believed in a God not out there or on the fringes or in the gaps as the God is dead, Polemic argues. He believed in God not on the circle of the cosmos. He believed in a God in the middle of the village. Well, I want you to know that being a Christian is not so much learning how to live in the memory of what Jesus said and did. Being a Christian is learning to live in the reality of what he is, a living presence. He's no dead fact, stranded on the shores of the oblivious years, but warm, sweet, tender, even yet a present help is he, For love still has its Olivet and faith its Galilee. The healing of His seamless dress is by our beds of pain. We touch Him in the throng and press and we are whole again. Joe Garagiola, the famous sports commentator, told about the day the team was playing the Yankees in Yankee Stadium and the opposition stood to bat and it was a critical point in the game. They needed a hit. And this batter who was a devout Catholic took his bat and made the sign of the cross next to the plate. And Yogi Berra, who himself is a devout Catholic, called time, reached out there with his catcher's mask and rubbed out the sign of the cross and said, If you don't mind, I think we'll just let God watch this game. Now you can thrust him out in the grandstands if you want to. You can thrust him out to the boundaries and the fringe of your existence, and that's where he'll stay if that's where you want him. But that's not where he wants to be. He wants to be in the middle of things. And so 30 peasants of Russia were worshiping one night when the Nazis under Stalin burst through the doors. And they said, we're going to get a list of every person here. And so they got their names. When they finished getting the list, one of the Russian peasant Christians said, there's one name you don't have on the list. And the guard said, yes, we do. We have 30. No, you don't. There's one name of somebody here whose name you don't have. Well, he said, I'll just call them off. And he called all 30 names. Everybody, you know, answered present. You still don't have one name. Why, he said, I have 30 names on this list. Who is it? And the Russian peasant, whose courage was as deep as his face said, his name is Jesus Christ. And he was there. And he is here. He's not out on the fringe. He's at the center, at the plate, in the heart of the experience. And the first step to the peace of God is to recognize He's as near as your hand. And the second step to the formula is remember to pray. In everything by prayer and supplication, folks, the person who is not praying about everything is usually a worrying about most things. You can face life in two ways. You can face it with prayer or you can face it with worry, but you can't do both at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. They're like light and dark. If a person is worrying, it's because he's not really praying. If he's really praying, he's not worrying. If it's big enough to cause us to worry, it's big enough to talk to God about if it's serious enough to threaten our peace of mind, it's serious enough to take to God. And it says of Hezekiah that when the crisis came in his nation, he went and spread it before the Lord. I wonder how many of us this morning really pray about everything. Now the word is pray, and then it says with supplication a prayer is the general communion with God. It might just be spending a little time in His presence, looking into His face. Like a college student, two college students, one said to his roommate, you know, I've got a problem. I don't know what to do about it. I'm going to talk to Phillips Brooks, the great pastor of Boston. I'm going to talk to him and get his advice. When he came back an hour later, his roommate said, what did Phillips Brooks advise? And he said, I didn't even ask him. You didn't ask him? You went with an appointment to find his advice and you didn't even ask him? He said, you know, just spending an hour with Phillips Brooks made all of my problems seem unimportant. Folks, what a difference within a one short hour spent in his presence would prevail to make. And the word supplication is not the general spreading it before the Lord, not the general communing with God. It means to give him our specific wants, Tell him about them. And so Jesus passed by and blind Bartimaeus said, Lord, have mercy on me. That was his prayer. Jesus said, what do you want? He said, sir, that I might receive my sight. That was his supplication. Do you really pray? Do you really pray about everything? If I were to ask you this morning, do you really believe that prayer avails, that prayer changes? Do you really believe in prayer? Most of us would say we do. Then why don't we pray? There's a parable. I don't know whether it's true or not. Um, I'm going to tell you this story, and it's, whether it happened or not. It's a parable, really, about the man who went on a speaking assignment to another city. When he got out of the plane and got into the taxi and arrived at his, desk at his hotel, he noticed that folks looked just like he did, except for one thing, they wore no shoes. And so he stopped the uh, cab driver and he said, Why don't the folks wear shoes here? He said, I don't know. shrugged his shoulders that night he went to the banquet to speak it was a black tie affair and everybody was eloquently dressed except for one thing they wore no shoes and so he asked the the uh, person at the table with him why don't the people wear shoes and the man shrugged his shoulders and said i don't know and the next morning as he prepared to leave it was bitter cold and the people on the street in front of the hotel their feet were cracked and bleeding from the cold. And so he stopped one and said, don't you know anything about shoes? And the guy laughed, kind of smiled, and pointed to a water tower in an industry there in the city. And the name of the water tower was the name of the largest shoe manufacturing plant in the world. And he said, well, for God's sake, man, why don't you wear shoes for your feet? And the guy shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know. If I were to ask you this morning, does the prayer of the righteous prevail? Does it make a difference to pray? Does that change anything? You would say yes. Then I would ask, why don't you pray about everything? And we'd shrug our shoulders and say, I don't know. The second step to peace is to pray about everything. The third step in the formula is to resolve to praise. In everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And it's kind of like 1 Thessalonians 5 when it says, in everything give thanks. For no real praying has an absence of praise. If you're really praying, you're really praising. If you're not praising, you're not really praying. A woman came to Dunn. Her daughter had run away from home and joined the hippie subculture. And she was distraught, asking his help and advice. You know what? The first thing he did, he said, Have you thanked God for this? Have you praised him? And she said, Have I what? And he said, have you thanked God for this? Have you praised him? For praise is the highest expression of faith. You know, I had a little, I've had a I've had a problem with that, just to be honest with you. I've had a little bit of problem understanding what it means to praise when there's when there's no reason for it, you see, except that God said for us to. And I think that I have found the clue to my my dilemma. It's the 13th chapter of Hebrews, verse 15, and it says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the sacrifice of our lips. In order for there to be a sacrifice, something has to die. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice was an animal that was slain. But in the sacrifice of praise, it's one's personal ego that has to be slain. It's one's personal judgment, his personal opinion, his personal evaluation of whether this is good or bad, right or wrong. So that the man offers the sacrifice of praise because his own personal evaluation and opinion has been slain on the altar and he does it out of obedience and it's the highest expression of his faith. Listen faith. This is what Bill Hammer says about it. Listen. Almost everyone has been or is the victim of circumstances and situations which to his judgment seem unfortunate, tragic, even calamitous. Does that sound like anybody you know? Conditions in which he can see no good, only evil. It is humanly impossible to see how many beneficial purposes can be served by them. It is then, hear this, now listen carefully. It is then that one offers the sacrifice of praise. The only time one can offer this sacrifice of praise is when things seem to be going wrong. It's only then that he's called upon to die to his own opinions, choices, and judgments. And that just might be the, the, the thing that is absent from our Christian life above all other things. Now listen, what's the, what's the development? Stay with me, please. If there is no victory in your prayer life, it may be because there is no prevailing faith. For the Scripture says that the thing that hinders our, the answer to prayer is our lack of faith, our lack of belief. And if there is a lack of prevailing faith, it may just be because there is no purposeful, meaningful praise. For praise is the spark plug of faith, and faith is the missing ingredient for prevailing prayer. So the key to peace with God is to praise Him in everything. The expression of prevailing
1: faith. Now If you recognize the nearness of God and you remember to pray and you resolve to praise Him, the result is peace. Now that kind of peace that we're talking about does not come by man's contriving. It comes by God's giving. And it surpasses all comprehension. Listen carefully. It means that you cannot understand it. And you probably cannot explain it. But you can
0: experience it. And it's the kind of peace that I experienced one day standing in the hospital waiting room. And the news had come.
1: That death. And to see that family gather together their only child, and to see them gather themselves together, their arms about one another, and pray and pray, is to stand in the presence of the peace that surpasses understanding. And this is the way it translates it's beautiful. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, shall guard your heart and your mind while you live in Christ. I'm told that then in the middle of the ocean, it's perfectly calm. Now up on the surface, the waves may be turning to white tracks, and the storm may be raging, but the submarinists will tell you that down in the center in the midst of it, it's as calm as calm can be. Now in the midst of the storm, the peace of God, like a sentinel, guards the heart and the mind while we live in Christ And that's the passage. No. Listen to A wealthy merchant had heard about the Apostle Paul. He wanted to meet him, and so he came to Rome to do so. He went to the Roman cell where Paul was a prisoner, and Timothy took him down to the cell and introduced him. Frankly, he was disappointed. Paul was a frail, skinny, ugly man. Not what he had envisioned. Dynamic, not at all. Almost blind. He bore the mark of the beating and the suffering. And he was almost worn out. But he sent in the great apostle, that dynamic of faith and peace. And so he left, the man, said to Timothy, "Can you tell me the secret of that man? He certainly has nothing the outward good testifying." And Timothy said, "It's simple. He's in the law. He's in the Yes. Yeah. He's in the law with Jesus Christ." All he said, "Is that all?" And Timothy said, "Sir, well, that's all." That for the peace of God guards the heart and mind that something of the man who works in and now, peace is new, and peace of something you love and something you love and the steps to that peace find their culmination in your relationship to Him. Now, before you can have peace with God, you have to become a Christian. You have to confess your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you do that today? He died for you on the cross and rose again, and our faith place in Him. Lost in Him, rest in Him salvation, peace of God. But there may be need for some of us to take other steps to have the peace out God. You're a Christian, but life has been too and unhappy. It's been filled with misery, and you do not have the peace of God. If he's not near, it's because he's moved away and you need to come back to him. After we've had a morning prayer, we'll send out invitations. We'll invite to come. These are the invitations. To come in the Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord. To come trusting the expression, say to him. The second invitation is for you to come to say, I do not manifest the peace of God. My prayer life is yours. My devotional life is yours. My walk with God is yours. And there may be some of you who need to come and place your life here by Satan, the promise of life. After we've we told you our church, God, what we want and what you want is for us to have peace. to have the mind of Christ, to have the confident, restful assurance that all things work together for to good, so we may love God and be the according to His purpose. And Father, so we're not claiming that you remove the conflict that comes because of our tension with an evil word that you will give us the restful of courage that will enable us to be the courage in us. And this is my prayer for each of us. And I pray that you will call upon us for this time to the designed by hand for the faith. And I will still pray you will see us. And we will come in here with a